So, so today is kind of an odd, uh, not odd, but a different Sunday, but there's something that God had on my heart um, for a while and uh, that I've been wanting to talk about or, or, or kind of think through together. And um, it kind of came together. Uh, there was a few things we could have talked about today, but one thing that really has been bugging me and, you know, it's kind of really, I don't know, for a while now is, is this command that we have in, in the gospel of um, Matthew. At the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says some things to his disciples. And, and there's ways that we, we can get this, I don't know, we get it right and we get it wrong. I'm sure we're always falling short of what we're trying to do, um, but trying to be obedient to Jesus' commands. And I want to share with you from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. You've heard these words before, but it's the very, very end of the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to hear them again today with you. So it says in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them, that's the disciples, those who are following him, right? And he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is a little passage that we call the Great Commission, it's the, um, it's the, the great uh, commission of Jesus Christ. Now, commission, we did it this morning, but a commission is this kind of sending out, this, these marching orders. And, and in some ways, we read the go and make disciples of all nations, and you would say, well, hey, praise God, you're going to Guatemala. And we say, praise God, we're going to Guatemala. But there's more to this um, than just going to Guatemala, and the really interesting thing to me and the, the thing that I've been thinking and praying over for just months and months is what, what are the real, how do you really do this all the time? You know, this, this commission was given to all his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. As a matter of fact, just to make sure we're all in the same place in Scripture, what happens is they gather together waiting for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes on him. He says, whenever I go to heaven, I will send the, the counselor to you. And the Holy Spirit comes. But then the church is dispersed. They're spread around. And each and every person who had become a follower of Jesus began to go and make disciples on their own. They each began to do it. The church grew in unprecedented ways, in unpredictable ways, because of this diaspora, they call it, this kind of spreading out, the scattering of the followers of Jesus throughout the region. And it came through persecution. But when I look at what we're doing and, and how we're called to do it, and, and what, what, what would it look like, you know, Jesus, I say, what are we called to do? How can we do it? I'll tell you part of the problem that I see, you know, is... We're going to go to Guatemala, and there's going to be some obvious needs. This, this, this young lady who started this mission three and a half, four years ago went there and saw street kids that nobody cared about. And when you see that, that's easy. You go, wow. You know? I mean, it's easy to see it. It's not easy to do it, but it's easy to see the need. I just talked to someone who came back from Bolivia, and he said there's a ministry in Bolivia, and their whole mission is to go to this one bridge. There's this one kind of creek thing, this um, uh, run, water runoff rain runoff thing where these people live on both sides. They live under the highway overpass, these two groups of people. And the entire mission of this outreach project is to reach these people under this one bridge. 
And so they go there three or four times a week and they walk to the bridge and they talk to the people and they, and they hang out and they invite them into this relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a very practical relationship. It's not this kind of, you know, be, you know believe and be saved, but stay here and you're, and you're stuck in your life. It's come follow us. We're following the Messiah. He doesn't want you to live this way. And I was so like, wow, that's so cool that they have this mission in Bolivia that goes to this bridge, and they have this halfway house, and they have this beautiful farm in the country, and there's this journey, this process that these people take from being just broken and hurting and lost. And you might go, man, what does that mean, lost? But I'm sure when you're in Bolivia and you're looking at these folks who are under a bridge and they're huffing paint all day, you would go, wow, you're lost. And we're not talking about a, like a, a psychological, we're not talking about just like a mental ascent thing. They are just hurting and broken and hopeless. And to see them go from this to fully functioning, healthy human beings is beautiful. But then I look at our, our, our community here in Highland and I go, so where's our bridge? What are we doing? Jesus, you say, go and make disciples of all nations, and this is part of it. So what are we called to do here in Highland? What are we called to do as Family Bible Church? And this journey that we have goes together. I mean, it's, you're in it with me. I pray that you are. I mean, this isn't like, I'm going to think something up, we're going to do it. I want us to be listening to God together and living out this call to go and make disciples. Here's something else that I want to remind you that comes from the Gospel of Matthew as well. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he doesn't just say, hey, try your best to go make disciples, but he empowers us to do it. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that he, know, he, he, he called us to do it because he knew we could do it, it would be easy to slough it off and say, hey, I'm not sure how to do that, and so, you know, I know that it was a good idea, but I can't pull that off. But I think that the trouble is that as one who knows Jesus as Savior, you know you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. So the question is, how do we do it? Because we're completely capable of going and making disciples. Now, that all sounds fine and good, and you've probably heard that great commission before. <clears throat> and there's lots of people who tell you this is how we do it, you know. But here's the thing that really was kind of stuck in my crawl. When we talk about going and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, that's what he says to us. I just look at Jesus' life, and I want to share with you a few uh, passages of Scripture. We're going to jump around a little bit today, but I just want to share, because this is what gets, gets me, is I, I, I'm following Jesus with you, and I go, okay, we're going to go and make disciples, and then I hear Jesus say some things about what it looks like to make disciples. The first comes from the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, of, and I'm just going to read verse 10 to you. And he says this. Well, I'm going to back up a little bit, but he says um, in verse 8, all who have ever came before me were thieves and robbers. This is Jesus speaking. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, here's the key verse. But I have come that they can have life and have it to the fullest. So in this commission to go and make disciples, Jesus says, but I have come. The sheep are those who are hearing Jesus and following him. It's that simple. He says earlier in there, my sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep. And so in this following after Jesus, we, we have this promise. He says, I didn't come to steal or to kill or to destroy. 
but I came to give them life to the fullest. In this great commission, this great call, we have this promise that Jesus says, I came to give my followers abundant life. There's another passage I want to share with you. It's, again, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 11. You don't have to do all this flipping. I just want you to hear the word today. If you want to turn, I would invite you to turn, but you don't have to. Matthew 11. And uh, I want to share this with you as well. Because, again, when we start to think about how do we do this, it can become like cumbersome. This, this journey, this, this command to go make disciples can become a burden to us. What, what are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And in Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. This is Jesus speaking again, and this is what he says. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that might not sound like much to you, but as a serious follower of Jesus, and I hope you are too, when I hear the command to go and make disciples of all nations, it can be overwhelming. And then he says, but wait a minute, I've come to give you life to the fullest. And he says, join yourself to me because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. I found that remarkable. I have this uh, picture here that I've used for our work today because it's a, it's a yoke for like oxen or maybe horses. It could be for dogs and dog sledding. I don't know what it's really for. But it's, it's a picture of a yoke. And I always had this vision, you know, as is, is, um, a yoke, Jesus has come and, and, you know, he says some things to us about carrying our cross, you know. I always think, you know, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And I always thought about this yoke being, you know, like I would be where the center ring is and I arm on each side. I'm going to carry this thing for Jesus. You know what I mean? I'm gonna, and I kept thinking, well, you said this is light and this is easy. But you see what happens in a yoke is that there's this big ring here and there's this little ring on the other side and each of those is fitted to the animal. And then together they pull. Huh. Right? And Jesus says, come and bind yourself to me. Because when you're walking with me, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Hmm. And this is where I go to praying about the Great Commission. And I say, Jesus, you've called us to go and make disciples of all nations. And that includes Highland, Illinois. It includes Family Bible Church. It includes Bill Dempsey in some weird way. I don't understand it, but I know you're calling us to it. So what are we called to do? How are we called to do it? And he reminds me of these texts. I will give you life to the fullest. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. And I started, started thinking about, well, what, how, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, how did he do it? Because that's a great way to approach it. If we want to know how he commands us to do it, let's look and see how Jesus really made disciples. Because some of us think, I, I guess it's our brokenness, but we, we're looking for a program. We're looking for a solution. We're looking for like a, a, you know, here's the five steps of discipleship. Let me tell you what they are, right? We do that. And we put these burdens on one another that feel heavy. As a matter of fact, they can crush us. 
And because of that, I don't think they're of Jesus. If the responsibility is weighing heavy on our shoulders to go and make disciples, I think we're getting something wrong. I'm not saying it's always easy. Jesus went to the cross. But I am saying that we shouldn't be carrying that burden when Jesus promises it won't be that way. And so I have these three kind of thoughts for a real-life discipleship for real-life discipleship, how you and I can go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. And, and I hope that, um, you know, we, we continue to talk about it. I hope that because I say it today, you won't be like, well, you know, Pastor Bill said this, so it's true. I hope that you examine it, you pray through it, and you go, you know, I don't know if that's right or this is wrong or whatever. I would love to talk about that. But this is when I look at the life of Jesus, I see some very simple things that he did. And then, and then they're freeing in a very real way. If we can only be unbound from our slavery to sin and to our own, you know, our own purposes, like we see how easy he really is on us. And the first thing that I see in Jesus' life is that uh, he, he just lives, you know? I mean, the first thing that we're called to do as followers of Jesus is to live. He says, I've come to give you life and give it to the fullest. And so we're allowed to live our lives. We're allowed to be human and live our lives. There's a passage of scripture that says that um, he did not consider it, um, I'm trying to think what it says. He did not consider it uh, proper to be equal with God, but taking on the very form of humanity, Jesus came. There's this idea that the Son of God condescended. The first miracle of Jesus' life, you know, it wasn't the birth in the manger, and it wasn't the water into wine at the wedding party. The very first miracle was that, that God himself decided to submit to a human form to save us and to go and make disciples of all nations. This is the first miracle of Jesus. His incarnation is what we call that. It means he was flesh and blood. The word of God also said he was tempted in every way we're tempted. He suffered everything we suffer. There's nothing that we go through that Jesus didn't go through himself. So whenever he says to his disciples, then and now, bind yourself to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He means it. We just live our lives together. There's a passage, a couple passages of scripture um, that came to mind because we were called to have life. And, and the word of God says this. It says, um, and I just talked about this a few weeks ago, but it says, we were dead in our transgressions. I mean, you don't, you're not alive unless you know Jesus. You're not alive. You're existing, but you're not alive the word says that we were dead in our transgressions. There was no way, but, but in Jesus we have this life. As a matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah says this. In Ephesians, it says you were dead in your transgressions, but the prophet Isaiah says, um, for, uh, I'm going to read it here. It says, he was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And in his stripes, you and I are healed. For these very things that were our death, that were not allowing us to have life, Jesus came 
to give himself that we could have it. I, I want to read from Ephesians. Um, this is just in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, because I think the whole thought needs to be heard. The word starts and says, like all the rest, you and I, by nature, were objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. And we were dead in our transgressions and Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly So, you know, what's the big deal? I think, you know, one of the things we talk about um, is markers when we experience something together as a believer, especially in the church, is was that life-giving or life-sapping we just went through? It doesn't mean it won't be hard. It can be hard and life-giving. But when you come out of an experience, whatever it is, do you, were you, have you been given life? Or, or is it a life-giving experience? Too often, the problem is in churches, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody, I'm telling you, is that things that we do don't give life. You know, that's one of the things we talk about here at the leadership team at Family Bible all the time is, you know, is God in this? Because if he's not in it, let's don't do it. Because he promised us abundant life. Let's don't do things that he's not calling us to do. But the things he's calling us to do, let us do them and do them well. Let's, let's really sell out to what he's calling us to do. And I think that in this very fundamental way, we are allowed, we're permissed, we're totally allowed to go out into the world with Jesus and live life. You know what I mean? Like, just like, uh, do things that we enjoy. Um... Be out there. And I think a lot of times in churches, we, we try to take ourselves out of that into a different environment. You know what I mean? Oh, don't go live with those people. Because those people are, they're bad people. Don't, don't do that. That's not our call. It's frustrating to me that as followers of Jesus, we should have more life than anybody. There should be nowhere we'd be, we'd be like, this is great. That we wouldn't be able to go and experience God's blessings and the richness of life. And we kind of cordon ourselves into these little circles. See, here's the thing about Jesus. When he went and made disciples, he was living life. 
you know, I'm reminded that whenever he started, he was in the temple. He was, he was in, the, um, in the synagogue when he unrolled the scrolls and he read from the prophet Isaiah and said, today, these, day, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And then he went alone on this journey out in the wilderness. And when he came back from the wilderness, after he, he confronted Satan in his life, he just starts walking around the fishermen and the people who are kind of on the edges of society. He doesn't do, he doesn't go back to the synagogues to proclaim the kingdom of God. He goes and talks to the religious people, surely, but he lives his life. When he makes disciples, when he picks up followers, it's out in everyday life. He's just living. We see it over and over again in Scripture. He's walking along the road. He's hanging out in the fishing boat. He's talking to the crowds. He is out living his life, real life. He loved to get together and hang out with brothers and sisters and have a meal, you know? He loved, one of the most uncomfortable things I think I see, well, not most, but, you know, a funny thing is that, you know, there's these, these, these pictures of people reclining at the table, leaning into Jesus, leaning into Jesus. I, I think, you know, we would give him, like, the gold chair, and we would sit at the other end, you know? We wouldn't be, like, leaning, like, hanging out with him. But Jesus was just right there with his brothers and sisters, the ones that he came to save. He would go and he would have a meal with his mother and his brothers. By the way, James is an interesting guy. His brother was one of the most obstinate. You know, they, they, at one point, they went out and found him and tried to drag him home because they said, you're crazy, Jesus. What are you doing out here? But he becomes a believer that his brother is the very son of God. I would say that Jesus took vacations. Do you think that's true? You think there's ever moments where he just lounged around the beach and hung out? You know, we, we have these pictures. I mean, it's just so funny, right? We have these pictures of Jesus. Well, yeah, he, he went alone, but he went to the mountain to pray. Do you know what happened when he came back from spending that time alone with God? His face glowed. His face glowed. Have you ever seen people back from vacation? <laughs> You're like, wow, how'd that go? It was great. And why do we think that discipleship's different? That we're going to climb that mountain and get up there and we're going to beg and plead. Why can't it be like that? Real life, living it with God. That's what we're called to do. So my first question is, is in your life, and this is a question I'm asking myself and, and all of you at the same time, but are you living your life to the fullest? Are you? Are you living your life to the fullest? And if you don't know Jesus, I mean, I can't explain to you enough how I thought before I was living, I thought before I was having fun, but there was no life in it. There was no, there was no real in life. Without Jesus, it's all a farce. It's all an act. But the question is, are you living life to the fullest or is there more? Is there more that you're called to? So that's the first thing, is just to live life together, to be out there living, doing life together. And that's why I think we're trying to do it at Family Bible Church as well, is just to live life together. That's what we're trying to do here. And then the second thing is this, to relate. Now, there are three ways we can relate as Christians, right? We relate uh, with God through Jesus Christ. And that's the most important relationship that we have. The most important thing we will tell you ever as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is that you have to know his son to know the father. That's what Jesus said of himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. 
Have you seen, you know, that's how that works. And so we are the same. And so you have to know Jesus to know God. But there's this, um, there's this other place in the Gospel of Matthew that I want to share with you. And it comes before the Great Commission, which is interesting, right? Because the Great Commission, we all know, you know, going to uh, all nations, making disciples and baptizing. But then if you read earlier in, uh, in Matthew 22, and we talk about this a lot at Family Bible Church, but Matthew 22, I'm going to read a couple of verses here from 37 uh, to 38. Whenever he was asked, what's the most important thing in life to do? Jesus said these things. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So this is actually called the great command. The first was the great commission. This is the great command. But I want you to notice that great command comes before the great commission. If you don't love God with everything that you are and, and all of your mind, all of your strength, you can't do the great commission. You can't go and make disciples. And so here we have Jesus telling, the, telling the, those who are asking, and if you read the context, it's a little bit of trickery, but he's telling the truth, and he says, you have to know God first. So as believers, the first thing we do is we personally relate to God. No matter what comes in life, our first response is, God, what's going on here? Whenever we ask the question, how can we go and make disciples, we turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, how do we do this together? When there's some kind of a mistake in our lives that we don't, we've screwed up, we go and we go to God and we say, God, I screwed this up. Our first relationship is with God himself. But the second one, and, and this is important in the order too, but the second one, he goes on to say, this is the first and greatest commandment, but the second is like it. So Jesus is asked, what's the greatest command? He says, well, there's two. The second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the second way we can relate as, as uh, followers of Jesus is we can relate to the people around us. As human beings, do you, do you understand that? I, I think this is an issue that we have sometimes. Like, you know, I'll tell you something as, as believers in Jesus, okay? Here is all of humanity right here, this line right here. And this is where you and I were before we knew Jesus as Savior, right? And then we came to know him as Savior, and guess what? We are all right here as humanity. And, and, and some of us think, well, not anymore. Now I'm here. They're down here. But we are all in this together. And, and Jesus never, he never, he calls us to higher things, but he never, ever, he, he always relates to other human beings. He goes to them in their pain. You know, there's a passage where Jesus wept because somebody died. The king of resurrection wept because somebody died. He was very much about the people he was with. He, was, he would be offended if he was asked to cast the people aside. Matter of fact, we talk about it, all the little kids, they said, don't waste your time on them, Jesus. They're not important enough. And he said, don't stop the kids from coming to me. Why? Because we're all right here, Jesus says. We're all in this together. And so as human, as human beings and followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, and I hope you believe this in your soul, I hope that we understand this, that we are in this together, that our call is to be with our brothers and sisters as we follow Jesus, our Savior. Because if, you're, if you think you're above them or you think you're in the other room from them, you can't share with them the life-saving truth they need to know about Jesus. We are in it together. And he says, the second command is like the first. You've got to love your brother as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. 
And so we relate first to God himself. We have to do that. And then secondly, we relate to others as fellow human beings. But then here's the third thing, and I want you to know this, because as making disciples, you and I can relate everything we experience with a godly perspective. And that's different. In other words, when circumstances happen in life, we can have a different perspective because we know Jesus is Savior. So we relate all things. We live life. But when we relate to God, we're relating to Jesus Christ. When we relate to our brother and sister, our neighbor, we're relating as fellow human beings on a journey. And when we're relating our life situations, we relate it from a godly perspective. I'll tell you something that you can do for your friends who don't know Jesus is you can help them have a godly perspective on their lives and what it means. You can help them to see a bigger picture. Because what happens, the truth is that when you and I face hardship or trial or difficulty, we put the blinders on and we turn in and we close down and we miss the big picture of what God is doing in our lives. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, can see the big picture. We can see things from God's perspective, not, not perfectly, but well enough to be obedient to what we're called to do. This comes, not, uh, this comes from the promise of Jesus, and it comes from the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I won't have time to unpack all this today, but I hope that you understand that Family Bible Church, we believe that when Jesus saves you, he seals you with the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit of God compels you. He, he teaches you. He walks with you. He shows you how to live your life. He tells you about the friend that needs a call. He tells you about the person on the sidewalk that you go, I'm not talking to them, and, and God's saying, hey, talk to them. This is the Holy Spirit of God in your life, and I hope that you know that he is active and not, you know, not uh, dead. He is living in you and guiding our steps and prodding us and compelling us and pulling us toward our purpose in life. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, I want to I read uh, what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. I'm going to start a little before 10. He says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. He's quoting scripture there. And he says this, But God has revealed it to us, that means to you and to I, through his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Because who among men knows the thoughts of a man except man's spirit within him? That means there's something in us. We know ourselves better than anybody else. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may understand that God, what God has freely given to us. Then, this is what we speak then, not words taught to us by human wisdom, but words taught to us by the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. <laughs> Paul says we shouldn't be doing that anymore. Relying on our best guess, but having this divine conversation, this very real, very saving, very present, very loving God who is revealing the truth to others around us about who they are and how much God loves them. You and I have been inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to be able to do this, to relate all things from a godly perspective. So both loving God and loving our neighbor is about proper relationship. It's about relating things properly. Here's the thing. 
when Jesus walked and lived his life, you know, he could have been just another rabbi traveling by the lake. He could have been like anybody else. But when he saw things, he saw things differently. The only difference, I mean, the only difference between him and the people who were teaching, well, I mean, he was the son of God, right? But the difference is that he could see what God was showing him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said at one point, I only told you what my father told me to tell you. That's what he said about his ministry. We wrote it down. It was so good. I only spoke what God told me to speak, what my father told me to tell you. And so as you and I are, are going along in life, we can do the same things that Jesus did by the power of his Holy Spirit. He saw the same thing that everyone around him saw, but he saw it through his father's eyes. And you and I have the same father. And we can see things through a godly perspective. That, you know, I, I long for the day that as a church, we respond when we see needs because God showed it to us. I long for the day that, that me, what, that I'm more obedient to that voice in my life, that I'm, I'm compliant to what God is calling me to do, not in a heavy, burdensome way, but that whenever it's over, I don't have to think of a big strategy or have a big plan. I can be living life, and I'll see it, and I'll turn and respond to it, and I'll go, that was easy. That was life-giving. I obeyed God. As followers of Jesus, we can all do that. We can relate properly. And I hope that we're growing in that. My question today is, are you relating properly? Are you relating properly? I mean, in my fundamental questions, are you relating properly to, to God himself? Are you coming through Jesus' son? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time in the word? But don't let that, again, this isn't like an albatross that's going to sink you in the ground. You know, I've had that, people say that before. It should be a thing that you do for joy, for pleasure. Oh, I got to spend a half an hour praying today. It was great. I spent half my lunch hour reading the Bible. It was great. Not, ah, I got that done. You know what I mean? Are you relating your life properly? Are you seeing things from a godly perspective? Man, and I, and I, I mean, I'm living this out with you, and there are things in my life that are hard and things that I struggle with, and I hope that you do too, and I hope that in those times that we turn to God and say, what, what's going on here, that we relate properly in that situation? The third thing, and this is, this is the easy part, right? Invite. So the first is that Jesus lived his life. And the second, that he related all things properly. He related properly to people and properly to God and properly in the situations. He related everything properly. But the third is this, that he invited us to participate. I want to remind you that Jesus' great discipleship-making process was two words. Follow me. That's what he said. Follow me. That's what he says today. Follow me. There's no mystery or magic. The only difference between how you and I make disciples and how Jesus made disciples himself is we don't say, hey, follow me. We say, hey, follow him. Follow him. Now, the crazy thing about an invitation is we feel like if someone says no, we've failed. Do you know how many people turned away from Jesus to his face? <laughs> Do you know how many people turn away from Jesus every day? But every day he says, follow me. 
every day. So this is it. We live life. We relate properly. You know, we look for the, the yoke to be easy, the burden to be light, and then we invite people to participate. And this could be in a lot of ways. It could be something as simple as, it don't have to be church stuff. Hey, you want to go and hang out with me? Hey, you want to go to the movies? I'm not saying go to the movies and then break down the five spiritual laws or however many there are, four spiritual laws. I'm not saying go and bring your Bible and at the right moment whip it out, you know? Ta, gotcha, you know what I mean? Because listen, God is working in their life to save them. Don't get in the way. Be obedient. If he says, what about the Bible? <laughs> okay. But if he doesn't, don't, don't, don't drag the stuff into the equation. The invitation to follow Jesus was so simple and beautiful. Will you follow me? And he waits for an answer. The Bible says that Jesus commanded us, go and make disciples of all nations. He says, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's what he said. If you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you disciple makers. And this is why it's such a big deal. If Jesus himself is willing to die on a cross and then allow people to deny him, who are we to say, you can't say no? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can say no. You know, the truth is that many of us said no for a long time, long time. So that's it. Live life, relate, and then invite other people. And by the way, you can invite them to church. And by the way, you can invite them to your small group Bible study. Hey, by the way, you can invite them to breakfast. And you don't have to have this big, just invite them. Hey, come hang out. That's how I got here. Somebody invited me. The last step in this process is to repeat. We never stop living our lives. We never stop being real. We never start trying to fake it till we make it. We never start trying to, you know, be up here while people are down here. We're always with each other. We're together. We're in it together. And in this way, we repeat the cycle of living life, of relating everything properly through Jesus Christ and inviting others to participate with us if they want to. If you want to, go with me. If you want to journey with Jesus. If you want to see what's going on, come and hang out. Jesus did these things over and over in his ministry. Even as greater and greater crowds followed him, he would say to people, hey, follow me. Hey, follow me. And people would get up and follow him. Yesterday, he had a really cool thing. Uh, my son mentioned, he said, I don't know if he's even here today. Yeah, he, Johnny says, uh, I have a friend. And he got this really cool watch. And, and this watch tells him when it's a good time to fish. Have you heard of this? I went and looked it up. Because I wasn't really sure. It's a watch that tells you the lunar cycles and all that stuff and tells you when the fish are going to be out. When are the fish going to be out? But when John told us, I was with Ryan Kramer, and, and Ryan and I started joking around saying, hey, we should market a watch, like a cheap, you know, one of those like $5 ones we sell for 30 because it only has to have one button on it that when you push it, it would go, it's a good time to fish. <laughs> I mean, guys would buy that, wouldn't they? <laughs> hey, I got my fishing watch here, honey. It's a good time to fish. You know? Because it's always a good time to fish. In some ways, it's always a good time to fish. And I think the truth is that when Jesus lived his life and when he calls us to go and make disciples of all nations, we got that watch. I want one of those now. So I'm like, hey, 
It's a good time to fish. It's a good time to fish. I hope, that you, I hope that you go with me on this journey. I hope that you are willing to ask that question, how do we go and make disciples? And then just live that out together. I'm so eager to see that happen for God's glory, not ours, not mine, not Family Bible Church, but for the glory of God and the kingdom and the good of his people. It's a good time to fish. Please join me in prayer. Father God, today we've come into your house and maybe we weren't ready you know, maybe we're ready for you and the reality of who you are in our lives. I pray today that we're caught up evermore in your net, that you are saving us from the very things that we would chase to destruction, that the ways that we would deny you, the ways that we would question your sovereignty or your authority, you would remove us from that, that you would bring us to your feet in such a loving and great way that we could be hanging, and that you would show your great love to us today, right where we are, just like we need it that we could just praise you and sing glory to your name because you are so good to us. You've done so much for us. And you've called us into abundant life. May you get the glory. I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do one final song today. But I would be a fool if I didn't say to you that, you know, today Jesus is saying it to you too. Hey, follow me. Those burdens that you're still carrying around, even if you say, I believe in Jesus, but I got this stuff, he's still saying, follow me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I just want to let you know that, it, you know, um, uh, you can have Jesus today in a, in a real powerful way. I mean, in like that saving way, you can know him today. It's an invitation that he gives and that we are honored to be able to, to offer. And so I pray that you would consider that as we worship here. I would invite you to always hang out. I would invite you to always come and do Bible studies with us. I would invite you to ask hard questions, to bring up points of contention. Because we follow a God of truth and he's not afraid. The family challenge this week, actually, is that um, you and I would go and do this together. And I hope that you will join me in taking that challenge.